welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian Van Vactor, and I am co-hosting today in our studio from Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And this is A Reason for Hope, a Bible answer program. We live stream for an hour every day at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And in studio with me is our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hey, everybody. Glad, glad to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And it's quite a commute, so we're very thankful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I, uh, I live in a place when I uh, tell people uh, they're going to come visit us, I say, if you see a sign welcoming you to Utah, you've gone too far. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, My wife and I took a little drive this weekend with the kids to just drive somewhere. We went to Oracle, Arizona. So yes. We kind of drove. That, yes. that direction yes we are just nice. south of oracle yep. <laughs> <laughs> i i remember driving by and i go that's where uh, pastor scott lives so <laughs> you probably see the glow from the no never <laughs> <laughs> well we're so grateful to be here we hope you had a wonderful weekend and uh, have so happy monday now for those of you who may have uh tuned in for the first time or Maybe you're catching this, uh, a clip of this um, on YouTube or Facebook or something like that. Uh, again, as I said, this is a weekday Bible answer program where we take questions from you, our audience, right there on the live stream in the chat section. So if you have a question about the Bible, the Christian worldview, um, maybe if you're curious as to if there are good reasons for God's existence or can we really trust the validity and the historicity of the New Testament records concerning Jesus' life, Whatever it may be, whatever's weighing heavy on your heart when it comes to faith and spirituality, world religions, uh, this is the place. We take the time to take people's questions very seriously, and we try to take a lot of time studying when we don't have the answer. And I've never seen uh, such a great group of people. So I, I really would encourage you to chime in if you have a question. Now, there's multiple ways you can join us. <clears throat> you can join us on Facebook. You can just go to facebook.com and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or just look for our handle, CCF Tucson. That's CCF Tucson, that stands for Calvary Christian Fellowship. You can also join us on YouTube. And if you do catch us on these social media plat platforms, I'd really encourage you to subscribe, like. We live stream not just this program, but all of our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service, which we are currently going through the book of Ezekiel. We are a church that teaches through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. On Sunday mornings, we have services at eight, 9.30 and 11, and we are going through the book of Acts. <clears throat> so if you want to join us for some of those, then again, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Our YouTube channel is at A Reason for Hope 546. We're archiving this program on Rumble as well. We'd like to grow our audience there. We're not live streaming there just yet, but if you'd like to uh, catch our archives, we do uh, categorize our program by the three top questions in that show. So you can easily search through our questions and look through our archives. So follow us on Rumble if you can. We also, for those of you who don't uh, necessarily want to ask questions on a social media platform, you can just go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, go to the Watch Live tab, and there's a little chat box where you can, in real time, ask questions, and we'll get to those uh, when we can. If we missed your question, we usually try to save it for the next program, so don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> we also have an app. For those of you who are part of our community and would like to know what's going on, uh, you can download this app from the Apple or Google Play Store and just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that little red dove. Well, it's a red square with a white dove, or it's a white dove with a red dove with a white, white outline. That picture <laughs> right there, if you are watching live. Um, and uh, you can download the app. It's got a great little digital Bible where you can leave notes, highlight text. You can join chat groups, know what's going on with current events, watch archives of our messages throughout the entire Bible. So I'd encourage you to check it out. Now, if you want to ask a question of this program, and would like to do so maybe a little more discreetly, just let us know by emailing us, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. And just let us know in the email that you'd like to keep your name anonymous if that is the case. If it's a sensitive question, then that's perfectly okay. Last but not least, please uh, follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on X, formerly called Twitter. The birdie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm never going to get used to that. I just I've decided that it's never going to be normal. <laughs> Not that I, Twitter was ever normal, but uh, I, I keep waiting for them to repent and return to the previous format. But yeah, put an X on the X. I think I think Elon Musk is very stubborn. So <laughs> I, 
I have a, I have a feeling where the X is here to stay. But uh, yeah, if you want to follow Pastor Scott, you can just uh, his Twitter handle is still the same. He's not going to change it, so it's at Scott R four H. That's at Scott R four H. It's very uh, informative and also very entertaining uh, feed. So I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, before we take your questions and before we give you a little update on what happened over the weekend, I would like to take a moment to pray. So, Pastor Scott, uh, would you go to the Lord for us? I would love to do that. Thank Father, you. I thank you that we can welcome your presence here. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, as the good Father that you are, uh, you desire to give wisdom to your children. You desire to communicate your love through your light and your truth and your word and through the person of your son, Jesus. And we desire that this broadcast would be all over that, that we would be a tool that you can use for these high and holy purposes. Uh, I pray for Adrian and myself uh, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit because apart from you, we can do nothing that is going to be of any lasting significance. But if we can speak your truth and love, anointed by your power, uh, Lord, then lives are going to change. Thank you for each and every person that is joining us. I pray that you would just confer upon them a special and encouraging blessing. Whatever uh, trials, whatever struggles are going on in their life, uh, I pray, Father, that you would lighten their load and uh, give them uh, wisdom and insight, to even from the questions other people might be asking, that might uh, lead us to a passage or two in Scripture that's going to be just on target for what they're going through right now. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good shepherd over your flock. Uh, we commit to you this time, and we ask that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, it's been kind of a, a somber and tragic uh, days, or yeah, uh, days, but yeah, uh, stuff that uh, really hits uh, close to home uh, for our family. Uh, my wife Pam uh, lived uh, for years in uh, Maui, Hawaii, had the opportunity to be able to go there uh, with her uh, to do a uh, couples conference, and uh, while we were there uh, on Front Street, uh, boy, the relationships that you have in that place run really, really deep, and uh, it seemed like everywhere we turned, there were people that Pam knew, and and loved and talked story with in the past and and uh, there's just a real uh, bond that we have there uh, one of our uh, really great friends and a pastor that we really look up to is a guy that uh, radiates the love of Jesus uh, Ricky Ryan uh, was the pastor of Kumalani Chapel there that's the church that Pam attended when she lived there in Maui and uh, Ricky has stepped back. Uh, Harvest uh, Christian Fellowship under Greg Laurie has taken over Kumalani Chapel, but uh, just a, a really wonderful place. We've had the opportunity to visit there and speak there, and and uh, our, our hearts are, are, are really uh, intertwined with the people there. Well, uh, over the weekend, you've no doubt heard about the uh, tragic circumstances that have gone on in Maui. It seems like every update that we get uh, things are more and more devastating. Um, three different fires broke out on the island all at once. A uh, large hurricane down to the south of the Hawaiian island chain was churning up some uh, pretty significant winds. As a result of that, uh, the, the, the city of Lahaina, especially Front Street, was just absolutely uh, devastated uh, to the point uh, where uh, at last count, there's nearly 100 people have been confirmed dead, but over 1,000 people have uh, been listed as missing uh, as a result of this. Uh, and, and so, you know, our prayers are definitely with the people in Maui right now. And uh, sometimes people will ask the question, okay, what can we do to help out? Is there any way that we can help out? You know, well, I, I mentioned uh, Kumalani Chapel, and uh, Kumalani Chapel is a great church there, and I uh, was uh, able uh, to uh, find that they've set up a uh, relief effort through Kumalani Chapel. I mean, these are people that live right there on the island. They know how to get uh, the, uh, the uh, resources directly to the people in greatest need. And boy, you know, some of the, uh, the stories that we have uh, been told by friends who are there in the islands, it just would curl your hair. I mean, uh, one person uh, described uh, the uh, scene in Front Street is looking like uh, the ruins of Pompeii uh, because there are still uh, bodies there that have not been picked up that are absolutely encased and covered in ash. Uh, you know, how high the death toll is going to go, we really don't know. But all kinds of people are homeless right now. Uh, electricity is out on a lot of uh, different areas in the islands. 
And so uh, the people in Maui uh, need uh, our help. And uh, one of the things that uh, the Kumalani Chapel did in conjunction uh, with uh, harvest.org, which is Greg Laurie's website, is they set up a uh, particular uh, venue where you can give directly uh, to the people at Kumalani Chapel to uh, help with the relief effort. The money that you give here will go directly to the people that need it most. It's found at harvest.org uh, forward slash Maui dash relief dash fund. And you can see that uh, on your screen if you're listening to this on radio. Again, that's harvest.org uh, forward slash Maui, M-A-U-I uh, dash relief, L. R-E-L-I-E-F-F-U-N-D. And uh, you can make a one-time gift uh, to the uh, Harvest Maui Relief Fund uh, at this particular site. You can find out what your gift supports. And uh, let me tell you, you know, knowing the people there at Kumalani Chapel uh, personally, Pam and I, uh, I can give my heartiest endorsement to this. You can know that uh, there's not going to be a lot of care and handling fees and things skimmed off the top. Uh, the money that you give is going to go directly to those people. Um, you know, normally uh, I try to give, keep my uh, personal giving uh, as, uh, as much of a private thing as I can to myself. But uh, Pam and I have already made a contribution at this website, and I'd encourage you to prayerfully consider doing so uh, as well. Uh, in the book of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, everybody knows John 3.16, but not a lot of people really know 1 John 3.16. Uh, we probably should because it says, "For we know, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, I really love that because uh, the kind of love that God demonstrated to us is very, very tangible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when we give in these kind of ways, when we come alongside people who are hurting in the body of Christ, maybe people we will never meet, people that can't, say, give to us, any kind of uh, blessing or any kind of direct uh, contribution to our lives. But we know they belong to the Lord. We know that people are hurting. We know that we can help fund them to connect and communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, even in a uh, searingly uh, awful set of circumstances like this. Well, uh, you know, this is something that we really need to be a part of. And there's a blessing for every person who will do this sort of thing, who will will actually put feet to their faith, not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Mm -hmm. I love the next line. It says, uh, and by this, we will know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Yeah, <laughs> one of the things we're often asked about on this program is how can you really know that you're saved? Well, you can know that you're saved if you're in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the ways you can know that you're in a love relationship with Jesus is that you share his heart for his people, that you have a generous heart, just as our Lord demonstrated his generous heart for us when he gave his life for us. So, uh, you know, I'll tell you, when I've gotten involved uh, with a relief effort like this and made a, a personal contribution, even a sacrificial uh, contribution to what's going on, I'll tell you what, uh, the next thought that uh, crosses my mind isn't something along the lines of, gee, I wonder if I really know the Lord or not. You, know, you just really get a sense of God saying, yeah, that's what I want you as my people to be doing. So um, I'm not suggesting that you give to this rather than supporting your local church or give to this rather than supporting, say, the ministries and missionaries that you might already be supporting. But this is kind of above and beyond. It's sort of like uh, that relief effort that the Apostle Paul got involved with in uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 uh, for the church of Jerusalem that was going through uh, a famine and uh, just being able to contribute along these lines and to pass the blessing along uh, is really wonderful. How can you know if you're being led to give or not? Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine and verse six says, "Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, mm. uh, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." First of all, purpose in your heart what you can give. You know, if if you're in a place 
where the Lord's blessed you a little bit, and maybe the Lord has blessed you a little bit so you can uh, meet the needs of these people. You know, but purpose in your heart. Decide your giving is going to be intelligent, not just on the, the wings of emotion. You know, sit down and look at your budget. Sit down and take a look at where you're at financially and ask yourself, you know, what level of support can I give to an effort like this? You know, again, uh, purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. You know, I always call this the roll your eye test. If uh, your first reaction when you hear something like this, roll your eyes, go, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, I, I'm going to share with you something I bet you'd never thought you'd hear a pastor say, don't give. Don't give it's, if it's a big to do. I mean, you're giving unto the Lord. You're blessing him by blessing his people. And if someone came up to me and said, oh, Pastor Scott, I got a gift for you. And they handed me the gift. And then they went on and on about what a sacrifice it was. And, oh, I could have done this with the money, but I'm giving it to you. And, and man, I just, I'd give them the gift back. I'd say, keep it. It's that much well, trouble. <laughs> well, God feels the same way. It shouldn't be grudgingly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. You want to bring a smile to the face of God, uh, be a cheerful giver. The word there in Greek is the word hilarion. We get our term hilarious from it. Uh, so, you know, it's not just, oh, well, you know, nice sort of thing. If you're giving led by God's spirit in a way that honors him, remember, everything we have and are belongs to him. We give a little bit back to a situation like this that could not just uh, bring relief from physical suffering, but could also be the channel and avenue uh, as that gift is shared, to seeing someone give their life to Jesus Christ and harvest, obviously, with Greg Laurie and uh, with uh, Kumalani Chapel there in, uh, in Maui. They're all over evangelism. So it's not going to be like uh, one or the other, uh, you know, like giving the Red Cross or something like that. So we have the opportunity to be able to do that. So physical seed and so spiritual seed in a situation where they really need it. So, um, you know, Adrian, we're just going to take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to move on the hearts of the people that are watching or listening to this broadcast. And, and we're also going to pray for the people of Maui. Let's okay. do that. that yeah, Lord, thank you that we can bring uh, the hurting people in Maui to you right now. We know there's hurting people all over the world, but certainly you've laid this on our hearts. And Father, we would ask that in the name of Jesus, you would come alongside those who are hurting, those who are in need of physical care, maybe those that have been burned in the fire, injured, uh, maybe those who have lost loved ones, uh, maybe people who have lost everything they've ever owned and are asking the question, uh, how in the world am I going to be able to go on from here? We pray that you would come alongside of them in a very strong and powerful way, spiritually comfort them. We pray for the leadership at Kumalani Chapel. We pray that you would anoint them, guide them, direct them. And Lord, we pray that not only this program, but uh, people all across the world that have been blessed, say, by uh, Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusades and, and in Southern California, Harvest Christian Fellowship, that uh, they would uh, rally around this and that there would just be such an outpouring, tangibly and physically and even spiritually, that even in the midst of something really horrible like this, a revival could break out. And many, many people would give their lives to the Lord. And, and the world would see that when we talk about love as Christians, we're not just talking about feelings. We're not just talking about theological concepts. Uh, we're, we're talking about meeting people's needs right where they are. So grant us the grace to do that, Lord. We ask that you would cause this to be uh, the start of an amazing work of yours. Bless the people in Maui. Love on them and care for them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we did have a couple of questions we didn't quite get to on Friday, so we're sorry that we didn't uh, have a chance to get to it. We were also catching up from a few questions from the day before. But um, uh, on Friday, Mike Hill wanted to know, what did Jesus mean when he said, my sheep hear my voice? Is this referring to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, well, in a sense it is, uh, because any connection that we have with God uh, is got to be uh, channeled to us, if you will, through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, whether that is the Lord speaking his words of peace to us, whether that's the Lord uh, causing his word uh, to come alive to us, uh, leading us into all truth, the Holy Spirit is here to do that as well. You know, the scripture uh, being referred to here uh, has a, uh, a really interesting, more narrow connotation than this, Mike. Uh, you know, again, 
Jesus, uh, using this analogy of the sheep and the shepherd, said this in John chapter 10, Most assuredly I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Well, <laughs> what has just happened? Uh, Jesus has just gotten done healing a man who was born blind. This man who was born blind was brought before the religious leaders of his day and questioned about this. His parents were asked, uh, was this man born blind? What happened to him? Parents were so afraid of these religious leaders and what they could do to make their lives miserable. Uh, they said, well, he's of age, asked him. And the guy came in and he said, uh, you, know, uh, you know, well, you know, this man prayed for me and touched me. And he said, well, give glory to God because we know this man's a sinner. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, whether this man's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is uh, there's never been anybody in the history of mankind who could heal someone born blind. And, uh, you know, they said, well, how did he heal you? You know, what did he do? And he said, do you want to be his disciples as well? There's only one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. And uh, they say, you were all together born in sin. You're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. And so on, they kicked him out. And by kicking him out, it literally meant they kicked him out of the synagogue. Um, he couldn't receive any kind of support or, or uh, people that were part of the synagogue were instructed to ignore or shun uh, a person like this. It was really uh, a devastating thing. People that leave cult groups uh, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons will report receiving similar shunning uh, by those who are part of the group. Uh, and, and so Jesus has just gotten done dealing with people who claimed to be God's representatives, claimed to be the shepherds over God's people. But uh, Jesus is about to call them out. Uh, and he said, uh, if you don't go through the door, he's going to show that he's the door for the sheep. Uh, you're a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he takes out his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So what Jesus is doing is using a picture that was very familiar to the people of his day, Mike. Uh, a shepherd would become so well acquainted with his flock, uh, so uh, invested in their lives, that uh, the, the flock of sheep that belonged to a particular shepherd would have that bonding with that shepherd. Oftentimes, shepherds would build large sheep enclosures, and they would use them in a kind of a communal way. There'd be like uh, two or three different flocks of sheep that would be in one sheep in enclosure. But if a shepherd that uh, had a particular part of his flock in that enclosure came out and would whistle, usually, in a very unique and special way, immediately those sheep would start looking around because they would recognize the voice of their shepherd. They would leave the enclosure. The rest of the sheep would stay there because they didn't recognize the voice of the shepherd. But the shepherd, the sheep that belonged there, uh, without exception, would come and follow that shepherd wherever he was going to go. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. He's using this analogy to draw a picture of those who will be drawn to a living relationship with God and those who will reject it. He went on to say, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come but to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Now, that passage gets quoted a lot, but it's interesting that the context of all of that is the shepherd taking care of the sheep, providing everything that those sheep need. The thief that is mentioned here is usually an allusion to Satan, and certainly Satan is behind these sort of things. But what Jesus is referring to are those who might look like a shepherd, might behave like a shepherd, but are not the shepherd of the flock, mm. who are only there to exploit the flock, not to give health and vitality and welfare to the flock. Those who don't know and love the flock, but are only there 
to exploit them. Mm. And then Jesus gets deeper. He goes, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. <laughs> I remember uh, Pastor Romaine, who was Chuck Smith's right-hand man at Costa Mesa, used to tell us as assistant pastors, the single worst thing you can ever be called in the Bible is a hireling. You know, mm -hmm. are you here because you're getting a paycheck? Or are you here because your needs are being met and you're here to serve the flock? Woe unto you at Costa Mesa if you parked close to the sanctuary and you were on staff. <laughs> Romaine would come out and bark at you, kind of like the sheepdog that he was, and uh, say, oh, well, you're so important. There's, you know, uh, obviously other people in this flock aren't as important to you because you're parking in the best parking spots. And, and so to this day, Sean and I have a tradition. Uh, when we come to church, uh, we Romaine it. We uh, park on the <laughs> other side of the, the complex. It's our way of kind of honoring that uh, example. He gave, but Jesus goes on, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also will I bring and they will hear my voice and they will be of one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again this command I've received from my Father. So what Jesus is saying is this. He's not only the door that uh, gets you into the sheepfold, he's not only the shepherd who oversees the sheep, but he is also the one who laid his life down for the sheep, that the wolves would not tear us to shreds, if you will. Uh, the wolves, in this case, being false prophets, religious individuals saying, trust in me, don't trust in God, trust our traditions, don't have a personal relationship with God. Let me interpret the Bible for you because you're not qualified or, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So, you know, when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, uh, what it means is, is this, we who are Christians don't have a deal with God. We're not Christians because we joined a church. We're not Christians because we checked a box saying, I agree with this doctrinal statement. Uh, we're not Christians because we go to a certain place on Sunday morning. We are Christians because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, because his spirit indwells us, we're told, for instance, in passages like Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are mm. the children of God. Now, when you have that indwelling Holy Spirit, you recognize the voice of the shepherd and the voice of the wolf, the false prophet, the religious uh, mucky muck. You, you just, you, there, there's something about it. I remember right after I got saved, must have been like, I don't know, like a month after I got saved, I was working for uh, my grandparents' real estate company, like mowing lawns and doing yard work at the houses they had up for sale. And I was mowing the lawn in this uh, one house they had up for sale. And, this lady came over from next door and uh, started uh, asking me if I wanted to be part of the 144,000. Well, at, at that stage of the game, I didn't even know who the 140, I'd never even heard of the 144,000. And, and she was going on and on about this and that, and she seemed to be stapling a lot of scriptures together. And I was kind of bamboozled because, you know, I, all I had was my groovy, the way living Bible with the Jesus people <laughs> on the cover. And, you know, I'd read through about half of the New Testament by this time. How much is this $144,000? What are you talking about? But it was such an interesting thing, and I'll never forget it because she's going on and on. And there was just something in my heart that was going, whoa, this person is not right. This person doesn't know Jesus. This person, I mean, I got this sick feeling in my stomach the more she talked, even though she was talking Bible-y and very enthusiastic with a big smile on her face, it was like the good shepherd was going, wolf, you know, don't be taken in by the wolf. Don't be devoured. And, you know, I couldn't, you know, whip out my pocket copy of Kingdom of the Cults and start going through it or like that. But the Lord takes care of his own. Mm. You know when the Lord's speaking to you. You know that you know that you know. 
that uh, his Holy Spirit's bearing witness with you. Now, that's one of the things that gives us assurance. It's not the only thing that gives us assurance. That's one of the things that gives us spiritual protection. But that's not the only thing that gives us spiritual protection. In that case, I think the Lord intervened because, you know, again, I was so wet behind the ears and such a newbie that he was protecting me at that particular point. But he wants us to become so familiar with his truth, so familiar with how he speaks in the scripture, so familiar with the life of Jesus, that anything that is not Jesus-like, we will instantly recognize and be repelled from, like those sheep that don't recognize uh, the whistle of another shepherd. Hmm. Just ignore it, you know. We wait to hear our Lord calling us, and we respond to that. Hmm. That's good. It reminds me of that when you talked about meeting that person at the door. It reminded me of that assassin that was uh, after William Wallace and Braveheart and the other guy, kind of crazy guy who thought God talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> Defended him, and he said, he wasn't right in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> so sometimes uh, the Lord gives us a... Uh, a little uh, me, a little discernment meter when we get saved. That's really fabulous. It's, the truth will set you free, and you'll be free indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this ties in right into um, our next question, and I, I apologize if I get your name wrong. It's Sijin. Sijin, I think that's correct. Isn't it true that we can't know who is genuinely saved, or not until we die, except for a few Bible characters like David, Moses, historical figures, Polycarp, etc.? Does this include myself? Thanks. Oh, you know, what a great question. Mm. And you know what makes that such a great question? The Bible has such a great answer for mm. it. And, and there are so many people that I run into uh, that literally go through their Christian lives without having this answer. Mm. And, and, and I just, I'm so excited to be able to share this mm. with you because I think it's going to change your life. Can we know this side of heaven that we're saved? Well, you'll run into a lot of people uh, and a lot of, well, maybe well-intentioned but misguided groups that believe that uh, kind of dangling you over uh, the fires of hell on a single little uh, spider strand uh, like uh, Jonathan Edwards and Sinners of a Hand, the Hands of an Angry God continually having you in doubt about all of that is the best way to drive people to live a righteous life. Uh, and, and I think the people that, that tend to trade on this sort of thing, that put the heat on you like, well, are you really sure that you're saved? Uh, did you have any impure thoughts last week? Are you living out the Beatitudes perfectly? Man, I'll tell you, I, early on in my Christian life, I sat under teaching like that. And uh, the, the pastor that would teach this way was a really gifted evangelist, but he was teaching in church. And you know, every Sunday, uh, they'd have an altar call. And uh, if you're paying the least bit of attention, you know, you'd go forward at this altar call because it was like, did you have any impure thoughts this week? You know, did you lie to anybody? You know, did you, did you, were you angry with someone, even in your own home? And, you know, you need to come forward and, you know, get right with God. And almost implicitly in all of that was you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, and maybe you lost it, and now you got to get it back, and, and so on. But there was always this hanging doubt you know, you'd go up and, you know, I'd go up and my friends and I, and, you know, we'd have these tearful confessions up front at the altar and, and pray. And, and uh, maybe for the rest of that day, we'd feel saved. But then Monday morning, it'd roll around with its usual challenges and all of that. And, and you know, who can live, you know, a perfect life? You know, sooner or later, if you're paying attention, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, am I in or am I out? Well, here is a great way to get off that uh, train that's very popular but is not leading us in a good direction. In the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, uh, well, actually, we could start at verse 11. It says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I love this because uh, in the book of 1 John, uh, one of the things you'll find uh, throughout the book is that John uses this phrase, we know these things about God. 
And, and the word that he chooses is really interesting. There, there are a number of different words that you could use to, that could be translated no uh, in, in Greek. One of them is uh, gnosis, gnosko, uh, the idea of, of head knowledge, uh, the idea of, of, of sort of experiential knowledge that a person would have. That's where we get the idea that someone is a Gnostic yeah. uh, or a uh, yeah. agnostic for uh, the existence of God. They say, I don't know. Right, right. But then there's another word that in Greek is translated no. It's the word oida. It literally means uh, indisputable, metaphysically pure knowledge that cannot be altered. Uh, kind of like the kind of, you, you know, like I know the law of gravity is in session right now. I think, therefore, I am. Yeah, I know <laughs> that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. You know, I know that my name is Scott Richards. That's the kind of knowledge, mm. that's the kind of knowing that John is talking about here. Uh, and, and this is such a liberating thing. God wants us not to guess that we're saved. God doesn't want us to hope that we're saved. God doesn't even want us to feel that we're saved primarily. God wants us to know that we're saved. So if God wants us to know, and John said, these things I've written to you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. What an amazing statement that is. Because it says we can know. Hmm. We can settle the issue, this side of heaven. It, it doesn't have to be, well, we're going to give it our best shot and hope for the best. Uh, a lot of people live their Christian lives that, that way. A lot of non-Christians live their lives that way. You know, hoping they'll see a light at the end of the tunnel or things like this. Well, you know that light at the end of the tunnel is not a, you know, the fires of hell or an oncoming train. I've always wondered about that. <laughs> but, uh, but notice what he says here. This is the essence of what the Christian life is all about. We are told this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The word testimony there refers to the kind of testimony that you would hear in a court of law, an established fact that is proven beyond a reasonable doubt. John begins his letter by saying, the things which we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears and our hands have handled regarding the word of life. Christianity isn't based on legend or myth or some over-the-top experience. It is based on the historical reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That the individuals like John, who's writing this letter, were eyewitnesses of not only his life, his death, but also his resurrection. Fascinatingly, the disciples were willing to die not for a philosophy, not for a feeling, not even for a faith system. They were willing to die, according to Acts chapter 4, for what they had seen and heard. In other words, our relationship with God is based upon the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for us in history. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That same Jesus who rose from the dead said, because I live, you will live also. So, the first way we know that we're saved is we look at what Jesus has done for us in history, a reality that does not change. How I feel about it, how I don't feel about it, you know, irrelevant. This is what God has done in history. But also, we are told how we enter into this life. I love it. It says that this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How do you know you have eternal life? Well, First John, or I should say John 1.12, gives us the answer. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. We become possessors of eternal life the moment we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. The moment we look at him and say, I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I believe what you say in your word is true. I'm going to put my whole hope, my whole faith, my whole life in your hands. Uh, I, I love what John chapter 5 and, and verse 28 says about this. You know, it, it, it says that the one who hears my word, Jesus speaking, and believes in him who sent me, has 
eternal life and will not enter into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So the second way that we can know that we're saved is this. Number one, the historical reality of what Jesus did, living, dying, rising from the dead. But the second way we can know we have eternal life is this. Do we believe that? Because the Bible says if you believe that, you didn't figure that out yourself. In fact, the Bible tells us that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God and their foolishness to him, for they're spiritually discerned in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. So what God has to do for us to come into that place of believing in Jesus and trusting in him is a miracle. Hmm. He has to take people like us, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Hmm. Not a little off, not, you know, well, you know, a little misguided. Just a skew. <laughs> yeah, you know, I need a little more elbow grease on my soul. No, we were dead in our trespasses mm. and sin. But God made us alive together with Christ, we are told, by grace that you've been mm. saved. God is the one who opened our eyes, opened our ears, and opened our hearts to put our faith and our trust and our belief in Jesus, mm. that confidence in him. So if you've done that, if you've received him, if you've put your faith and your trust in him, if you're fully leaning on oh, Jesus, and here's a great diagnostic question. If you were to die and stand before God tonight, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You know, some people would say, well, I was a pretty good person. Or, oh, well, I know a lot of people, I'm sure, that are already in there. You know, my great dear sainted grandmother's in there. I know people. Uh, no, these aren't going to carry the day. Some people say, well, I did a lot of good things. Yeah, but you did a lot of bad things too. What are you going to do about those? The only answer that is going to carry the day is simply saying, uh, Lord, I believe your word when you said that he who hears your word, believes the one who sent you, has eternal life. You're my hope. You died for me and you rose from the dead. You said, because I live, you'll live also. I believe that. And the Lord will say, come on in. Mm. That's how we get in to heaven. But the third part of this is really, really important as well these things i've written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life now here's the deal god doesn't want your hope of eternal life to be guesswork he, he doesn't want it to be uh gee i hope so we can know why because my hope and your hope of eternal life that oida kind of knowledge right that 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 indisputable fact is not based on what i do for god it's based on what he's done for me. You see, the minute I put my faith and my trust in my own works, in my own status, what other people think about me, all these things can change in a New York minute. If I put my faith in my feelings that I'm going to heaven because I feel like I'm saved, well, what's gonna happen the next time you have stomach flu? You're not gonna feel very saved at that particular moment. So, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we look at Jesus, we look at what he has done for us, we look at when he died, the last words he spoke were, it is finished. What was finished? Your salvation and mine. All we have to do is believe in him to receive that. And uh, we can know that we know that we know we have eternal life. So again, do you understand and know what you believe and why you believe it about who Jesus is, what he has done, what he taught, his death and his resurrection? Boy, that's why that's so important to know. Uh, secondly, have you come to a place where you've put your faith and your trust and your, your belief in Jesus, that he is your only hope of eternal life? Not one of many things you're dabbling with, but saying, you're it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Believe that? Well, then you got saving faith. And then once we have that saving faith, we focus in on the person of Jesus. My emotions, my feelings change in the New York Minute, but Jesus never does. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a foundation that won't fail you. Mm. Wow, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's mm. a huge question. Thank you mm. so much for yeah, sending that you. in. Saijin, thank you so much for that question. Uh, <clears throat> another leftover question, Bo Jimson wanted to know about Matthew, Matthew Henry's commentary. He's asking if it's accurate uh, because he, he is saying that Matthew Henry's commentary states that you cannot know for certain that Solomon is saved. Um, we will see. So will we see Solomon in the new heaven and earth? Um, not quite sure. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get it. A uh, couple, couple pretty easy things. A commentary is just that. It is a man's comments on the text of Scripture. Now, commentaries can be great. Sir Isaac Newton once said, if I have seen further than other men, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. So when you have the opportunity and the ability to be able to take advantage of, say, someone who's devoted their entire life to studying God's Word, you know, mm. brilliant individuals who've done the digging and have done the, 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 the hard work of being able to show you what the Word of God has to say in a particular setting, you know, we should take advantage of that. But with this caveat, when I was in seminary, we used to have a joke. You know, after a while, you're in seminary, pretty soon you find yourself saying things like, well, you know, isn't it amazing how uh, the Bible sheds light on the commentaries? <laughs> you know, we, we get the cart before the horse, and we have our pet commentator or pet pastor and whatever they teach, whatever they believe. Now, God wants us, uh, again, as Paul wrote to Timothy, to be a workman who is approved of God, who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm -hmm. In other words, we have to have our own exploration of God's truth. Now, the Holy Spirit is here to lead us into all truth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the more we get to know it and do our own homework and work out these difficult problems that sometimes we find in the word of God, then we own these things. And that's where commentaries mm -hmm. can come in. We can benefit from this. Now, you know, I, I, I say this, and it might sound a little facetious, but it's very, very true. Um, if you ever come across a pastor or a commentator or a scholar that you agree with 100% on all of their takes on the Word of God, well, you're probably not paying attention or you're not listening. Because there are, you know, as far as the fundamentals of our faith, the, the essentials of our faith, those are rock solid. We can all agree on those. But there are different passages in the Word of God where people are going to have different takes. There are going to be issues that come up where people will have a different perspective, especially based on the presuppositions that they bring to the text. Uh, our uh, assistant pastor, Bo Willett, is fond of saying, uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I'm biased and you're biased. we got one thing in common. You know, we all look at life through our own little goggles and things like this. So when Matthew Henry says that Solomon wasn't saved, well, I could see how you could make a case for that. Guy that uh, started out great, uh, God uh, told him not to multiply wives in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17 or go back to Egypt uh, and uh, multiply horses and multiply wealth. He blew through all of those things and pretty soon he paid the price. His foreign wives turned his heart away from God, so much so that at one point in his career, he built a temple to Moloch, an altar where infant sacrifice took place for one of his foreign wives. So people would look at that and they'd go, well, how in the world could a guy like that ever be saved? Mm. Well, you never, in a situation like that, you never know till the end of the story. Uh, that's where the book of Ecclesiastes comes in. You want to, if you're feeling too peppy, too excited about life, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It'll bring you down in a big time hurry because there's <laughs> this repeated refrain, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. There's nothing new under the sun, you know, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And, and what it, it reflects is Solomon's conclusions about life that he learned after he turned his back on God, when he lived essentially a materialistic based existence, just as if the God of Israel wasn't there. Hmm. And basically he said, man, I got wisdom and it's just foolishness and chasing the wind. I got wealth and I realized I'm amassing all this wealth, but what if my son's an idiot and he squanders it all? Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You work hard and, and all this stuff, you're going to end up dead just like the lazy man. What's, hmm. what's the difference? You know, and you go, wow, man, this is really discouraging. But then at the end, of the book of Ecclesiastes, it almost seems like Solomon has, uh, I guess what we could call one of those, wow, I could have had a V8 moments. <laughs> uh, because uh, the last part of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says some interesting things. He says, uh, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And then in verse nine of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we read, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he taught the people knowledge. 
Yes, he pondered and sought out and sent in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, <laughs> something you stick an animal with to get them to go in the right direction. I think he's talking about his own life mm. because there's no more miserable creature on planet Earth than a rebellious believer. And that's how Solomon lived. And that's why Ecclesiastes is such a drag for the most of it. But notice, and he says, and words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making much books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. That was our uh, verse in seminary. We all had that underlined in our Bible. But then he comes to the end. He goes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Another translation says, this is the entire duty of man. Hmm. And he said, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Wow. Sounds like a guy, I don't know, Adrian, who repented, maybe, really kind of came back to the faith of his youth. Uh, I tend to think he did, mm. you know? And uh, although Solomon's life in a lot of ways is a cautionary tale, uh, nowhere in scripture does it say, well, whatever you do, don't be like Solomon. Uh, you know, you don't want to follow his bad example. Well, in a lot of ways you don't, but as far as someone that knew the Lord, uh, I think Solomon knew the Lord so well, it drove him crazy for a good portion of his life until he finally came back and surrendered his life again. Hmm. So, you so know, uh, genuine believers, I guess, sometimes will have dry times or hmm. even times in their walk with God uh, where they don't seem to be walking with God at all. But that doesn't mean that God's still not working. Mm -hmm. I can testify to that. Yeah. So Matthew Henry, and just to clarify, he didn't say that he isn't saved, just you couldn't know for certain. So you agree that, yes, I could see how someone might think that, but you you lean towards the, I think he repented. Ecclesiastes seems to illustrate that pretty well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the things I will say, though, in cautioning against following in Solomon's footsteps, is that the first casualty of a carnal Christian, and by mm -hmm. a carnal Christian I mean one who decides they're not going to walk with the Lord, they're going to walk in the flesh, they're going to, you know, go walk on the wild side or try to live a double life or, you know, look good in church, but, you know, yeah. or, or someone else as soon as they leave. The first casualty of that is assurance of salvation. Mm. You know, if, if you want to be doubtful about your salvation, you know, do that. Uh, you know, Jesus said when he comes back, there's going to be a lot of people who say to him, Lord, Lord. Uh, you know, did we not do many miracles in your name and your name cast out demons and taught you in the streets? He says, I never knew you. Mm. Be gone from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now notice the practice is part of it. Practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, they may have done some religious things, but they made a nice cozy spot in their life for some pretty gnarly things, lawlessness, mm -hmm. if you will. You know, if you're not convicted about your sin, if you don't struggle with it, I'm not saying that we don't struggle, we don't fall down, from time to time but if you never get back up hmm. if you just go downstream with uh, the the current of your sin well you know when you see those documentary on the salmon up in alaska once they spawn they just die and they flow downstream and some grizzly bear comes along and eats <laughs> them uh that's what happens sometimes hmm. uh and you know well you're saying okay but you know you talked about knowing and, and all this here's where this ties into assurance of salvation um, when we believe in Jesus, we have a relationship with him. We have a love relationship with him. And uh, the Bible refers to that as abiding in a living relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And in uh, John chapter 15, a lot of time in John today, uh, you know, Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says, he said, uh, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. The one who abides in me and my word abides in him you know, has eternal life, and he's going to bear much fruit, and that fruit's going to remain. Uh, I love Chuck Smith's comment on that. Uh, he said, I believe in the eternal security of those who abide in a living relationship with Jesus, but I also believe in the eternal insecurity of someone who doesn't abide in a living relationship with Jesus. Hmm. So I think the answer to the, uh, you know, am I really saved, assurance of salvation sort of thing we used to have these ongoing deep philosophical conversations especially when i was in seminary about uh, how far away can you get from god and still be in 
can you be a Christian and do this? Can you still be a Christian and do that? You know, where's the line and all this? I remember in the middle of one of those conversations, it just dawned on me, uh, wait a minute, aren't we trying to figure out how far away from God we can get and still be okay? Shouldn't our goal, if we love Jesus, to be close to him? And, and if our goal isn't to be close to Jesus, well, what does that say about our alleged love relationship with him? Or whether or not we even believe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really wonder how, it, I mean, how you would tie this in that God disciplines his children and anyone who does not receive discipline from God is an illegitimate child. So he, I'm, I'm glad Jesus didn't say, I never, I'm glad he said, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you for a little while, then you left. And I thought, well, I guess he's just not interested. You're out. Yeah. <laughs> no, God's going to continue to work on you. But, you know, I just love uh, the idea of a growing Christian life. Mm. If you're on that growth curve, if you will. You know, that's your heart's desire. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 uh, and verse uh, 5 says, But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what I want. Uh, I, I want to have uh, a, a, an abundant uh, entrance. I want the gates of heaven to be open wide when I get there, not some angel going, whoa, wait a minute, we better go over the documents here. Uh, that's Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Uh, and, and so when we have that kind of focus on a growth curve in our walk with God, one of the things is we're going to be delighting ourselves in the Lord. And if uh, we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, I'll tell you, God's moving in your life, answering prayers, leading you into all truth, giving you divine appointments. I've never been in a place where that's going on in my life right now. Gee, I wonder if I'm saved. Mm. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott. And thanks for your questions. If we missed yours, tune in tomorrow. We'll be sure to get to it. Thank you for joining us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.